Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 53 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. This is officially the first episode of the second year of this little show, and I'm excited about the year ahead. Today, we have a couple of changes to the show, which, to keep the intro from getting too long, I'll discuss in greater detail as I get to them. So, how are we kicking off year two of Turning Phrases? Well, I thought I'd take a look at some of the phrases I use a lot on the show. We're going to find out just what a turn of phrase is, why people lend others their ears, explore a couple bits of random etymology, and also, we'll learn why wisdom teeth are called wisdom teeth. I know that doesn't really fit in with the theme of today, but my grandparents have been asking me to do wisdom teeth on the show for a few months, and so I'm going to go ahead and do it today, and give them the knowledge they seek. Sorry that it took me a while, Mimi and Grangetti, but today is your day. Anyway, let's get this show on the road and find out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Let's begin with the show's namesake. If someone uses a turn of phrase, it means they're using a distinctive expression. But how are phrases turned? And for that matter, what exactly is a phrase, etymologically speaking? Well, the word phrase was first used in 1530 by a language scholar named John Palsgrave. However, he gave two definitions for the word. One meant a group of words used to express a single idea. The other meaning was a specific manner or style of speech or writing. So he basically said that a phrase could either be something you say or how you say something. Now that we know why a phrase is called a phrase, let's look at the turning. This comes from combining calligraphy and the practice of turning things on a lathe, particularly wood. Printing presses weren't invented until the 15th century, so prior to that, people either made texts by using cut wooden blocks, or they wrote them. The more elaborate the handwriting, the more the text was desired, so lots of fancy loops, or turns, in the words, or phrases, meant that the text could fetch a higher price. Along those lines, a common writing implement was the wooden stylus, which could have been created by turning wood on a lathe, so a literal turning was required to take place before the phrases could be written down. This is all backed up by John Dryden, an English poet, literary critic, translator, and playwright. In 1693, he wrote The Satires of Decimus Junius Juvenalis, and in it he wrote, quote, had I time, I could enlarge on the beautiful turns of words and thoughts, which are as requisite in this as in heroic poetry. End quote. About a hundred years later, in 1779, 
Benjamin Franklin used the modern version of the saying in the letters he wrote under the name of Silence Do Good. Quote, a new version of the Bible in which preserving the sense, the turn of phrase and manner of expression should be modern. End quote. Now that we know why phrases are turned, let's see why some teeth are smarter than others. Wisdom teeth. The bane of people just out of braces and the fodder for hilarious videos of swollen-cheeked people who haven't quite gotten over the anesthesia yet. In modern times, many people have their wisdom teeth removed, but their IQs don't decrease with the loss of these enamel-encased bits. People also don't just get smarter when these mighty molars pop out from beneath their gums, so why are they called wisdom teeth? Well, basically because people tend to be older when their wisdom teeth appear than they were when the rest of their adult teeth showed up to the party. So, people are therefore wiser than they were when they were just wee babes getting the permanent versions of the rest of their chompers. That's really all there is to it. Now, way back in old-timey times, folks actually needed this third molar. They used to eat much harder-to-chew foods, like roots and raw meat, so getting the foods small enough to swallow took a bit more effort. Combine that with a lack of toothpaste and dentists, and they tended to lose more teeth than the majority of modern-day chewers do. But the good news was they had a set of backup molars just waiting in the wings to pop up and take over if one of their other molars kicked the bucket. So even though we don't really need them anymore, they still hang out back there in the dark waiting to make you YouTube famous for a day after your loved ones film your doped-up antics. Sorry it wasn't a more exciting history, Mimi and Granggetty, but there you go. That's why wisdom teeth are called wisdom teeth. Now, let's explore the etymology of a few words I use a lot on this show. I want to just briefly go over the history of a few of my recurring words and phrases. So, let's first look at the etymology of etymology itself. It's defined as the study of the origin of words and the way in which their meanings have changed throughout history. Its origin can be traced back to the Greek word etymos, which means true. From that, we get etymologus, still Greek, roughly meaning a student of etymology. Though, it wouldn't have been called etymology yet, but we're getting closer. That led to the Latin word etymologia, then the old French word etymology, which finally led to the late Middle English word that we now use, etymology. I'm sure I butchered most of those words, but hey, at least I tried. Now, let's look at my weekly greeting, salutations. We have to start with the word salute. This one comes from the Latin word salus or salu which basically was just a greeting and a wish of good health. This led to the still Latin word of salutare, meaning to greet someone or pay your respects. And when you combine that with the old French word salut, you get the modern word salute, which came about in late Middle English. Now, if we go back a bit to the Latin word salutare, the one that meant to pay respect, it also led to the Latin word salutatio, which meant basically the same thing. And 
If we combine that with salute, we end up with salutations. It's a bit convoluted, I know, and again, I'm sure I didn't say any of those words right, but that's how we got to the greeting. Now, I end each episode with toodaloo, and the reason is to pay tribute to my great-grandmother, who passed away just over a year ago, a month shy of her 101st birthday. I'm named after her, and she meant so much to me. We were quite close, and to make a long story short, in the last few years of her life, I used to film her telling me stories from her childhood. At some point, she started saying toodaloo instead of bye when I ended the videos, and even though we still don't know why she started saying it, we loved it. However, though I can't tell you why Nana said it, I can tell you why people say it in general, or at least how the word came to be. This one's a lot more direct than the last two. A way to say bye in French is a toutelaire, which means see you soon. Toutelou is just an Americanized version of the French phrase. It most likely made its way into the English vernacular in the early 20th century. Now, last but not least, let's find out where the word metaphor came from. This one is also originally from Greek starting with the two root words meta, meaning over or across, and pharin, meaning to carry. This gave us metapharin, meaning to transfer, carry over, change, alter, or to use a word in a strange sense. From that, we get metaphora, meaning a transfer, especially of the sense of one word to a different word. That went to Latin, still as the word metaphora, then to the old French word metaphore, spelled M-E-T-A-F-O-R-E, which changed to M-E-T-A-P-H-O-R-E in Middle French, and then came to be the modern-day M-E-T-A-P-H-O-R in the late 15th century. Phew, that's quite a word journey. And speaking of metaphors, it's now time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is lend me your ears, something I'm grateful you do every week. But what exactly does it mean, since I'm not physically borrowing your ears? Well, if you lend someone your ears, it just means that you listen to them, and we know exactly where this one came from. Shakespeare wrote Julius Caesar in 1599, and in that he wrote, quote, Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. End quote. That's from Mark Antony's eulogy of Caesar, after he was assassinated by Brutus and the gang, and Mark was trying to turn the gathered crowd against the assassins. Therefore, he wanted them to listen to him, and so he asked them to lend him their ears. That's really all there is to this one, it's really straightforward, but it felt like the perfect metaphor to discuss today. So now, let's move on to today's familiar quotation. So, here's the deal, toppers. From this point on, I'm no longer going to use the familiar quotations book to find a quote for each episode. 
I'm going to use the good old World Wide Web to find a quote that fits in with the theme or one of the phrases that we've discussed in an episode. I've decided to do this because I'd like the weekly quote to fit the themes a little better, and the old book just isn't giving me the kind of quotes I really want. Plus, this will let me find some quotes that aren't so familiar. I'm not changing the name of the segment, though, because unfamiliar quotation doesn't sound as good. And besides, plenty of the quotes will still be from familiar people and works. I'll simply be sourcing the quotes from, well, other sources. Also, I'll no longer give a response to the quote every time. I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Unless I just really feel the need to say something about it. Okay, without further ado, here's today's quote from Herb Can. A man begins cutting his wisdom teeth the first time he bites off more than he can chew. End quote. Thank you, Mr. Can, for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, it's time for the show's new segment. Here's a bit of backstory. When I got married, I got a pair of books for my husband and I called Don'ts for Husbands and Don'ts for Wives. They were published in 1913, and even though they're tiny books, they're full of hundreds of tricks and tips to be a good spouse. I actually bought them because they were so small. They looked adorable, and I thought they'd be good for some laughs. But here's the rub. A lot of the advice, while dated, is pretty dang solid. So here's what we'll do for this new segment. Each week, I'll read one don't from each book to share the relationship advice that was popular over a hundred years ago. Today, I'm just going to read the preface from each book so that you can kind of get a feel for how the author, Blanche Ebbett, writes. Okay, that's enough explaining, so let's go to the books for the first ever for better or for words. Love advice from old-timey times. All right, let's do ladies first here. So this is the preface for the book Don'ts for Wives. Art is a hard mistress, and there is no art quite so hard as that of being a wife. So many women exhaust their artistic power in getting married, which is, after all, a comparatively easy business. It takes a perfect artist to remain married, married in the perfect sense of the term. But most of us have to be content to muddle through. Imagine a girl called upon without a single lesson to produce a tune. A lot of tunes, in fact, one never-ending succession of harmonies, from the most difficult instrument in the world. Note that the instrument not only gets grumpy in cold weather and skittish in the spring, not only slacks or breaks its strings with every change of temperature, but becomes tempestuous over a tight shoe, broody over an out-of-date egg, and cross, sulky, or mirthful for reasons that no sane woman can understand. This is what the average wife has to reckon with, and if she intends to play the game, humiliating as some may think it, he will loom largely on the horizon all her life. I hope she may find it worthwhile to take a few hints from an old hand. Okay, now this is the preface from the Don'ts for Husbands. My dear sir, you are neither as bad nor as good a fellow as you imagine yourself to be. No doubt you know a good deal about women, but 
if you are in the early years of your married life, not nearly as much as you will in another decade. In any case, I hope that, when you have read my little book, you will thank me for having told you many things that otherwise you could have learned only by experience, more or less bitter according to the discretion exercised both by you and by your other half. Women, married or single, are kittle cattle, and, as for men, well, I have a husband myself. Okay, so hopefully that sort of gives you an idea of the snarky yet helpful kind of advice that lays ahead of us. Starting next week, I'll read the actual advice. So I hope you're looking forward to that because she's got some good stuff. All right then, choppers. That's going to do it for episode 53. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, keep turning phrases. Toodaloo! Let me rephrase. And for that matter, what exactly is a phrase? Etymologically, <laughs> I messed that up. Etymologically, etymology. You have a show about etymology. You should be able to say etymologically. This comes from, I don't know because I lost my place. <laughs> Where was I? Where was I? There I am. This comes from. Co- Nope. This comes from the... Nope. This from... <laughs> this froms? <laughs> okay. Focus. Focus. In 1693, he wrote... Thank you, Groot. <laughs> A way to say bye in French is... <laughs> My mouth broke. Alter or to use a word in a straight... <laughs> I just put my hand in front of my mouth. I'd like the weekly quote. Clo- <laughs> I'm not changing the name of the segment though because unfil. <laughs> so you can kind of get a feel for how the author Blanche Ebert, 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 Ebert. It's got to be Ebert, Ebert, Ebert. As but in the name. <laughs> okay, you're an adult. Focus. So many women exhaust their artistic power in getting married. <laughs> Jerk, I'm trying to record.